2: Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Welcome to Creature Feature production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of many parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today is a listener questions episode. I'm getting over an illness. So I thought I'd kick back, read some of your emails, and answer your questions. And yeah, I'm feeling better now. So I am so happy to read your emails. And I did a little bit of fun research for this. I always love getting your questions because it often sends me down rabbit holes that I didn't even think to go down. Uh, And if you have questions, you can always email me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. And maybe I will answer your question on another one of these Listener Questions episodes. So let's get right into it. Hi, my boyfriend and I heard an interesting scenario while watching YouTube. Quote, a fully grown polar bear versus a fully grown great white in an Olympic-sized swimming pool that is 7 feet deep and 75 degrees Fahrenheit. Who wins? We had a fun speculating but wanted to get an expert opinion. Love the show. Birds rights. Emeritus C. So this is an interesting question, as you may already know, polar bears and great white sharks don't inhabit the same range, so we can only imagine the clashes between them. There are sharks that exist in the Arctic, including the Greenland shark, who can live for hundreds of years and can grow up to 21 feet long, which is about 6.5 meters. There was a case where a young polar bear's jawbone was found in a Greenland shark's stomach, but it's unknown if the shark actively preyed upon a swimming polar bear or merely ate a drowned carcass but onto this fantasy fight between a great white shark and a polar bear First, let's do the weigh-in. In In one corner, we have the polar bear. Let's go with the adult male polar bear because they are the largest. They can weigh up to 1,500 pounds or 700 kilograms. They can be over 9 feet long or 3 meters. And on its hind legs, it can stand at 11 feet tall or 3.4 meters. At the shoulders, they stand about 3.5 to 5 feet. Or 1 to 1.5 meters. So they would only be able to stand in your seven foot deep battle pool by standing on their hind legs. They are proficient swimmers and can swim for days at a time, the longest recorded time being nine days and 400 miles or 700 kilometers. They can swim at six miles per hour, 10 kilometers an hour. And the temperature of the water they typically swim in is around 30 degrees Fahrenheit or 0.7 degrees Celsius. So they are used to it being a bit chillier than the battle pool that is at 75 degrees Fahrenheit. So in the other corner of our imaginary battle pool is the great white shark. So females are larger than the males. So let's have a female. She can weigh around 2,450 pounds, over 1,100 kilograms, and grow up to 16 feet or 5 meters long. The largest great whites can grow over 20 feet in length and weigh over 4,000 pounds. They can swim at 35 miles per hour or 59 kilometers per hour. And they tend to live in water temperatures from 54 to 75 degrees Fahrenheit or 12 to 24 degrees Celsius. So they'd be very comfortable in that 75 degree Fahrenheit battle pool you've created. So again, to compare, the large adult male polar bear is up to 1,500 pounds and 9 feet long, whereas the largest great whites can weigh over 4,000 pounds and grow over 20 feet. So great whites are much larger than the polar bears. And they can also take down prey larger than themselves. So great whites can take down whale sharks, but they do prefer to take on prey that is smaller than themselves. They can easily take on sea lions or elephant seals. Meanwhile, polar bears tend to hunt smaller seals. uh, And they can only take down larger prey like walruses by actually using tools. So polar bears have been known to toss chunks of ice or rocks at walruses. This sounds too incredible to be true, but... This has been noted by Inuit observers for centuries and also by contemporary researchers who have videotaped polar bears throwing ice at seals. So who would win between the great white shark and the polar bear? Purely based on their physical strength, ability, maneuverability under the water, I think that the large adult female great white shark would handily win against the largest adult male polar bear. But if you gave the polar bear the opportunity to get out of the pool and grab some boulders, maybe he'd have a fighting chance. Next listener email, next listener email. Okay. Hi, kitty. The other day, I came home from work to find my cats and dog at the sliding door very interested in something. I walk over and find this aggressive turkey challenging them through the glass door. I thought this was very odd as I have a fenced yard and wild turkeys don't normally come to my patio and if they do, upon seeing the dog, they will back up. Well, upon further investigation, I come to find it's a mama turkey and she's just protecting her little ones. I got the pets away from the door and she calmed down and rested while the babies explored and eventually they wandered away. Anyways, I thought you'd like the pics from Katie. Uh, Thank you, fellow Katie. Yes, I did. I loved the pictures, and I love the story. So turkeys are actually really good parents, and they are highly protective of their babies. Mother turkeys will sometimes even feign injury like a broken wing by holding their wing out to their side to lead a predator away from her young. Did you know that young turkeys are called poults, which I think is really cute? So unlike a lot of birds who lay their eggs in nests in a tree and must make frequent trips away from the nest to get food, turkeys are ground-dwelling birds and they are constantly caring for their offspring. So turkey mothers will care for their poults basically 24-7 and the little, the little poults will take shelter under her wings. It's very cute. And they will call out to each other. It is adorable to see them out there pecking and foraging together as a little family. On to another question. So... Hey Katie, what about an episode about those dangerous hours animals have to get some shut eye? Or do they all shut their eyes? I found it surprising just now that turtles sleep underwater and wonder how long they could sustain this. Seems like it would have to be more like a short cat nap. This is from PK. So yeah, maybe I will do an episode about sleep sometime in the future. But to answer your question about turtles... Turtles must breathe oxygen, like marine mammals. Of course, turtles are not mammals, but they still have lungs, and they must breathe oxygen. Turtles can still survive underwater for long periods of time, even though they do have to surface to breathe, especially when they are at rest, they can actually go a long time without oxygen. When they sleep, their bodies consume less oxygen, and they can stay underwater for longer, so, for example, sea turtles, while swimming, must surface to get oxygen about every few minutes. But when at rest, they can actually last for a couple hours underwater. And older, st- older sea turtles are the best at this. So when they are mature, they can sleep deep in the water. And they seem to actually prefer to sleep deep down in the water, maybe under a reef, Um, whereas hatchlings like to sleep closer to the surface, floating with their front flippers tucked over their backs. So how do sea turtles survive without oxygen for so long? Well, their heart rate and other metabolic processes slow way down during rest. So while floating but not asleep, their heart rate is around 14 beats per minute, which is very low compared to a human's resting heart rate of 60 to 100 beats per minute. Uh, The sea turtle's heart rate can increase to around 40 to 80 beats per minute with increased activity. But while sleeping, sea turtle heart rates slow way, way down to about six beats per minute. That's like one beat every 10 seconds. For comparison, typical human heart rate while sleeping is about 40 to 50 beats per minute. So in fact, Human divers often train themselves to slow their heart rate down immensely. Their heart rates have been recorded to dip as low as 11 beats per minute. This is right on the edge of human capability and free divers that push themselves to this human limit are often at risk of blacking out and drowning. So it's a very dangerous hobby and it's very important to have a spotter. The most experienced free divers can last around four minutes underwater. And of course, a reminder, never try this in a pool, Uh, I guess without professional guidance. I mean, personally, I would not try it at all. But people have actually drowned trying to hold their breath for too long in a pool, uh, especially when they do it alone, because you can hold your breath for a while and then kind of not realize that you are getting close to the blackout zone and then before you know it you've lost consciousness. And if you're alone, there's no one to pick you up out of the water. So do not do that. Uh, But still with these experienced human free divers, they can last around four minutes, but that is a long way away from two hours that sea turtles can manage at rest. So Sea turtles really have us beat when it comes to slowing down their metabolism uh, to a crawl. Uh, yeah, so the turtle really does beat, well, I guess it's tortoise, but we are talking about turtles. The turtle beats the hare when it comes to slowing down their metabolism so they can survive underwater for incredible amounts of time while sleeping.
0: Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
1: Next listener question. Here it goes. Hi, Katie. I'm thinking about these baby formula shortages. If I remember correctly, one of the earliest domesticated animals was the goat, and their milk was one of the reasons that they were domesticated. I've heard that while 70% of the world is lactose intolerant to cow's milk, 0% of people are lactose intolerant to goat milk. Is goat's milk a good enough substitute for human breast milk? Will H. So first, I will preface this with the extremely important note. I am not a doctor. I am not a pediatrician, nor am I a goat. I cannot give you medical advice on how to feed your baby. Babies are extremely sensitive to changes in diet and nutrition. So you should always, always, always talk to your pediatrician. If you have questions about what you should or shouldn't feed your baby. It is extremely important. Uh, Do not take my advice. Don't take random internet people's advice or random podcasters. Talk to your pediatrician. So that said, let me tackle this question from a non-medical advice standpoint. So goat's milk does contain lactose. Therefore, if you're lactose intolerant, you will also be intolerant to goat's milk. Now, here's the caveat. Goat's milk does contain somewhat smaller amounts of lactose than cow's milk. So if you're only mildly lactose intolerant, it is possible that goat's milk would have less of an effect on you. Goat's milk is also more easily digested by humans than cow's milk due to smaller fat molecules that are easier for us to break down. So it's possible that if you have only a mild lactose intolerance, uh, you might find goat's milk easier to drink than cow's milk, but it is not a guarantee because it contains lactose and you're lactose intolerant. Technically, you would still probably have a reaction if you drink enough of it. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, I'm lactose intolerant and some things I can tolerate better than others. Certain cheeses have less lactose in it than milk and I can have cheese. But if I have anything milk-based, I have to take a lactate pill, and it works really well. Um, If you have a cow milk allergy, uh, be really careful because it's very likely you are also allergic to goat's milk. Again, talk to your doctor about those kinds of things because, you know, your body's important. So unfortunately, there's no animal's milk that is a suitable substitute for human breast milk or formula from what I can tell uh, from the research that I did into this. The problem is that human breast milk is specifically tailored to human baby nutrition needs and digestion. So animal milk is designed for the baby animals that will drink it. So cow milk is Designed for a baby cow's nutritional needs. Goat milk is designed for a baby goat's nutritional needs, not for a baby human. So, the composition of these animals' milk is going to be different than what is suitable for a baby human. Um, so, for example, animal milk may contain too much or too little of certain vitamins and nutrients, or salts, or proteins, or fat or the proteins may be too complex for a human infant to digest. Uh, I looked up a study that showed serious medical issues when goat's milk was used as a substitute for breast milk in infants, uh, resulting in things like anemia, allergic reaction, electrolyte imbalance, and metabolic acidosis, which is an imbalance of the body's acid and base levels. Uh, So, you know, not something really to mess around with for an infant who are, they're very, uh, they're very delicate. Their digestion is very, very delicate. And yeah, don't take my word for it. If you are wondering what to feed your baby, talk to your pediatrician. um, And, uh, you know, good luck out there uh, for everyone with babies. So uh, moving on to the next question. I think you forgot to answer another question about camels. There's an old saying about the straw that broke the camel's back. It would not literally break the camel's back, but are camels really that picky and sensitive about how much they will carry? Thank you, Stephen M. So, camels aren't so sensitive that they can distinguish a straw when it comes to weight. They can actually carry quite a hefty weight as well. But if they are overburdened, they can suffer saddle sores, fatigue, or injury. So what's interesting is there's actually been research done on the maximum weight for horses to carry to avoid injury. Uh, It's roughly 20 to 30 percent of their body weight. But I haven't been able to find any comparable research for camels. Seems like uh, how much a camel can carry depends on a number of factors, like the camel species. So like, as a reminder, there are three species of camel, the dromedary, the bactrian, and then the wild bactrian camel. Uh, and the dromedary and bactrian, which are the two domesticated camels, uh, their carrying abilities are going to differ. It's going to also differ based on the camel's size, their age, uh, it'll depend on the ambient temperature, uh, the amount of distance that the camel has to cover, and what the camel can forage in that distance. So uh, ethical camel owners should make sure that if they're ever using a camel to carry a load or to carry riders, the camel never shows any signs of distress or fatigue. So a, a fatigued, distressed camel will actually get sweat patches, Uh, it will start to crouch whenever, like, you come to a stop to try to get some rest. It can start to tear up and get a runny nose. So, you know, just (laughs) kind of like a person, like, if you are overexerting yourself, you, you know, might get sweaty, you might want to, like, crouch down, get a runny nose, get runny eyes. So if a camel is doing those things as well, it is overworked, overburdened, and that's not good. Um... The range of weight that they can carry uh, is, I mean, it's around 200 to 600 pounds or maybe 170 to 270 kilograms. Uh, But, you know, again, it's like it there's it really depends on the context and a good camel steward will make sure that the camel is not showing signs of distress, uh, you know, and not overworking the camel. So instead of actually seeing how many straws that we can add to a camel until it breaks its back, what about whether the camel would like a straw in its camel margarita? So what makes for a happy camel? I'm talking about domesticated camels. Of course, for the rare wild Bactrian camels, they're happiest in their natural environment and left alone, but the two most populous species of camels are both domesticated, so How do you keep a domesticated camel happy? Well, even though there's not that much emphasis put on camel enrichment, they really do enjoy enrichment. Uh, They like scratching posts where they can rub their coats on. So camels actually grow these thick winter coats, which shed like crazy in the summer because they have to endure these big, big shifts in temperature from winter to summer. And so having a scratching post to rub off that coat is really important it'd be like if you had a scratchy wool sweater that you couldn't get off in summer and so having something where they can rip off that winter coat uh, will make them really happy they also love sand which is great because they have to spend a lot of time in it but if they're in an enclosure with like hard ground surfaces they're not going to be as happy as if they have the soft sand in it so they like the softness of sand for sleeping and walking they also like to roll around in sand. And camels enjoy toys. Uh, they will enjoy enrichment activities like playing soccer with giant balls. There's a really, really cute YouTube video I'll put in the show notes of a camel playing soccer with a giant bouncy ball. And it is so cute. I think it's important to know that like, these Beasts of burden—these animals that sometimes are just like in the background, like camels and donkeys. You know, they—they they have personalities, they have feelings, and they can have fun and they can suffer. And I think if we have a choice, we should make sure that they have nice lives. Uh, so, you know, I don't necessarily think it is always wrong to like ride a camel or use a camel as a beast of burden, but I think it is important to take care of them be nice to them and you know just like hey they've given us so much let's give back even if that means giant soccer balls and scratchies for their big old coats so now on to the mystery animal sound game um i think i have a song now for the mystery animal game wait a minute let me put it in right now Yes, welcome to the Mystery Animal Sound Game. Every week I play a Mystery Animal Sound and you, the listener, try to guess who is making that sound. Guess who is squawking? So last week's Mystery Animal Sound hint was this. This monster can devour entire hills, but it's still just a baby. (laughs) Can you guess who is squawking? Well, only Joey P. wrote in and got this one right. It is a baby giant anteater. So babies will make these calls to its parents so it doesn't get lost. Adult anteaters are a little less noisy. Um, So the giant anteaters live in Central and South America and like their name implies, they get quite big and they also eat ants. I love it when an animal name just makes sense. They can grow over 7 feet long, or 217 centimeters, and weigh over 110 pounds, or 50 kilograms. They do eat ants, but they'll also eat termites. Usually it's a seasonal thing, so when ants are in season, uh, they'll eat them, and when termites are more in season, they'll eat them. They use their formidable claws to gouge open anthills or termite mounds, and a 2-foot-long sticky tongue to slurp up the tasty treats. They'll also dig holes to uncover drinking water, which other animals will happily use as well. Now, on to this week's mystery animal sound. You won't be surprised to learn this is called a screaming party, but who are the partygoers? <coughs> Another hint, I actually can hear these guys right outside my window. Well, if you think you know who's squawkin', you can write to me at creaturefuturepod at gmail.com. I'll also, take your questions. And maybe I will answer them next time I do one of these listener question episodes. And hey, thank you so much for listening. I sure do appreciate it. And uh, if you are enjoying the show and you leave me a rating and a review, I really, really, really appreciate it. I appreciate it so much. Seriously. Seriously, I really, really do. I mean, I'm going to level with you. I read all the reviews. They really mean a lot to me. Uh, I'm making a very, very sincere expression right now. You can't see it, but I am. And I, you know, like when I read a nice review, it, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like, hey, I should keep doing what I'm doing. And it cheers me up makes me happy, motivates me to make more episodes. So when you guys write that in, I really love it. And you know, if you write in like what kinds of aspects to the show you want to see more of or less of, that's also really helpful. So uh, I really appreciate everyone who's given feedback. It means so much to me. It means a lot to me too, that you're just listening. It's so fun for me to do this and talk to you guys. And I enjoy our little chat sometimes when i do do the listener questions it makes me feel more like i'm talking directly to you guys so i hope you like it when i do these uh it's not just for me to do a shorter episode although it helps when i'm uh maybe uh need to recover a little bit from an illness but regardless i like answering your questions so i hope hope you like me answering them as well um, and hey, thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song "Exolumina." Creature features a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you visit your favorite shows, know, visit your favorite shows. I guess you listen to them. I don't know if you visit your favorite. Sh- I you know what? Actually, I do like that. Visit your favorite shows. Knock on your show's door. I guess maybe your ear is the door in this situation, and I'm knocking on that door. Anyways, whatever. I'm still a little delirious from being sick, apparently. All right. uh, Keep it easy. Take it easy. What the heck is wrong with me? Take it easy, guys. See you next Wednesday.
0: Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health.